Welcome, friends, to the Dental and Mental Podcast. Hey, how's everybody doing? Sounds like everyone's doing great. It's awesome. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. If you're new here, I'm Dr. Davina Dietrich, and I am the mental half of the podcast. And I, well, I mean, we're kind of both dental, I guess, but I am the dental practicing clinician, Dr. Galen Dietrich. And yeah, we are going to have, well, we're always going to have a good time. It's always a fun time sitting here and talking to you. Yeah, I think so too. Okay, so you sent out an email last week. Mm-hmm, I did. And you were talking about your goals and how they've changed for this year. So if you are not on the email list, I suggest you get yourself on our email list. The website is thethrivedentist.com and you can opt in to get Galen's emails. He's the one that writes them. But you had an interesting email this week. And yeah. your email was talking about what is changing as far as production goals for 2024 and what your goals are that actually have nothing to do with production. So I, I want you to talk about it because it's it's honestly very odd. <laughs> well, I think it's hard to have goals sometimes when you don't have numbers attached to them. Um, I'd be the first to admit that. Like I usually have some sort of metric that's really easy to uh, to measure that is the goal. But yeah, for the last three years at Vita, uh, Devin and I have had financial goals for the practice. And to be totally candid, I think that was not even because we needed that number to do anything or to affirm anything, but Devin and I are both fairly, um, we were at a meeting on Friday and one of the gentlemen that we were talking to said that he could sense that in us like this really like healthy, playful competition between the two of us. And we play that out in our goals. So for the last three years, we've had a goal of hitting three million, four million, and five million for the practice. So that's been so your financial goals have been fun. They've like been it's fun, been, right? Like so. this has not been arduous, if, if that makes any sense. Okay. And I think that's important. Where it's not like, oh, it's been so stressed, uh, so we just have to like take a break. You know what I mean? Because I think that can happen. Is people will take a step back, and they'll relax. In fact, actually, I was talking to this gentleman on Friday, and he asked me pretty point blank. He's like, why did you take a year off? Like, why did Thrive take a year off last year? And I told him, I said, it was a sabbatical year. He's like, well, what do you mean by sabbatical year? And I said, well, I mean, in, in our faith, like the seventh year, like that's what you would take off if you were like tilling the land, right? Agriculturally, that made sense. And so I was walking him through why we did that and that it was really an act of faith on our side. And he was so interesting what he said. He's like, he said, that's actually fairly profound and different from anything I've ever heard. He's like, most people take sabbatical years because they burn out or they question why they were doing something in the first place. Mm-hmm. They kind of have to go take that time to go figure out like, what am I going to do next? Like this just, this wasn't it. Right. Right. And that wasn't it for you, you and I, it really wasn't like things were actually going really, really well. And so it was an act of faith to say, we're going to take a step back. And we're going to honor that year. It was going to happen regardless, right? Like when the clock hit seventh year, we, we stopped. Right. We had made that decision lo- yes. long ago. It's a pre-decision. Right. And so I mentioned that because with our goals uh, for the last three years, they weren't like we needed that to uh, make ourselves feel good about ourselves. We didn't need it from like a, you know, financial goal for the practice to be able to buy something. It was just what we wanted to do. It was just fun. It's like, well, I guess that's the next number up the rung. Like, let's go for it. And we, and we did it with our team. Our team really rallied on that front, and it was incredible. This year, the goal has totally shifted because Devin and I just kind of, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, like that's not as fun anymore to us. Like the competing on a number, we haven't done it for the last couple months. And it didn't, it was fine. Like we didn't, <laughs> just didn't feel like it. Well, for, you know? for context, the competition in the office was so much of a thing that the loser for the month would get like a burial ceremony. This is true. Right. Like this, they would get heckled. You would. Right. So, I mean, it like, this is a thing. This is really part of the culture in, in Vita at the office. Yeah. We had a month last, this past year in 2023, where I think, um, Devin produced uh, like 216,000 or something like that. And I'd produced 213, five and, and I was buried. Um, in my white coat. <laughs> right, right. You know, but so that, that's, but that's just not just... getting you. That's not getting you guys going anymore. No, it's not getting us, getting us going. So we had a meeting with our team 
we had our, our Christmas party and then kind of took a couple uh, weeks off almost. Came back to the practice and we told them, we said, you know, it's a very different, it's going to be different energy around the office this year because um, instead of trying to do $6 million now, it just doesn't do anything for Devin and I. It doesn't motivate us one, one bit and it probably doesn't motivate you guys. So instead what we want to do is we want to focus on you and your goals. And I think Devin and I have realized that through a lot of the great mentors we've had, a lot of great friends, you and I have the same thing too. We've been really blessed with people who have poured into us and helped us build a particular mindset that can conquer goals and push through hard things and deal with stuff at at the home front and you name it, like all that. It's the mindset, it's the mental piece that you have and that you teach people. But our team doesn't get a lot of that, right? Like we're, we're busy, we're doing dentistry when that's just the way it is. So they have things on their list, on their vision that they would want for their life and for their kids and for their relationships. And we want to help them achieve that. And so that's the focus this year is to really pour into our team, help them achieve their goals, help them achieve their visions. And probably as a unit, we'll probably still do really well. You know, that's almost one of the side effects of, of doing that. Thing. I so, love so. that so much. But here's the question. How did you, one, how did you guys settle on that? Because that's not something that's normal. And because it's not normal, where did it come from? And then two, how do you guys both get behind it? Like, is there resistance from one person to say, is this really what we're going to focus on with our business is helping our team achieve our goals. So I want to talk about that. The two of you being on the same page with that hmm. and, okay. and how it, how it even comes to be like, why, why do you even care about this? Okay. Yeah. Those are, those are really good questions. I hadn't thought about them ever, which is what you do. Um, so she's always asking questions. You just have never thought of in the world. Um, okay. How do we get on the same page? Honestly, I'm just grateful that Devin's somebody that I can um, be on the same page very more often than not. And we have a rule. Um, rules, if we ever have a disagreement, we go get a drink and some food and we talk about it over over that. Like that's the that's the environment that we create around it because it does lower guards and allows you to, to kind of walk through something in a more peaceful manner. Um, and we didn't have to have that with us. It just, we happened to resonate at the same level and same frequency on that. Devin over the last several months has really kind of had a different just demeanor and attitude about himself where I would suppose it's more, if I can say it's more calm. And I think that I've picked up on that. And I, I also like have talk about an imaginary friend. Like it's, <laughs> he's such a presence. Uh, like uh, when we talk about him and nobody knows, you know, it's not like he's ever been on here. We've introduced him used to get all those hate messages that right. you post. Yeah, you almost your, have to give them the context of who Devin has been. On your Instagram. <laughs> and we continue to talk about this, but we talk about him as an imaginary person. Like people are like, how does this person keep entering conversations and mm -hmm. there's no no face, no voice, no no anything. You know, I mean, I, I we make it a, a point on the podcast really not to, to curse too much or anything like that, but I think to know Devin, you have to know that he does curse and that's part of his, like who he is. And it's... uh it's his way of showing you love. Like, you know, he would, he would write these like hate letters <laughs> on my bathroom mirror in Mark. He'd get there early, which I mean, to think about this, like a person has to think about what they're going to say. They have to think how they're going to get up early enough to get up there to write on your mirror before you show up to work. And we both show up pretty early. And so, I mean, he's up there 45 minutes early just to do this. And the letter goes something like this, like, you know, good morning, Galen. Uh, you will amount to jack shit in this world, just so you know. Don't even try today. You know, like things like that. <laughs> and they'd be long, and I'd post them to Instagram just because I thought they were so funny. They're and people hilarious. were really concerned for me. And like, I had, a, I really had a couple people DM me and be like, "Are you in an abusive relationship? Like, do you need to get out of this? Do you <laughs> right, <need help?" laughs> right. Okay, so back. So staying, well. on, staying on track. How, so not a problem for you to be on the same page. But where did the idea? Where did the idea come from? And why? Why does it matter? Well, this brings up uh, probably another principle, which is a good backdrop. Sometimes you don't know where you're going to go, and I think at the Christmas party, we kind of both looked at each other and and there was sort of that like question mark in the air of like, where are we going next year? 
And historically, we've told the team ahead of time, we're going for this. We're going to crush it, guys. It's going to be awesome. Kind of like that rah-rah, you know, uh, inspiring talk. We didn't have that this year. It was more of like, we need to think about this. It, it felt that way too. Right? Yeah. Yeah, you were there. And, you know, it was like, okay, we this is a good year and we need to kind of take a step back and think. And so we both had that. And over that week and a half or so, we kind of came back and he and I had a couple of talks. And it was on one of our drives, actually. And I said, you know, it was really interesting. I was, we do the vision boards for our team. And the team, you know, they spend about four hours, one afternoon, usually in the beginning of December. Just, we get them a ton of magazines from all over. Um, I don't know these magazines, uh, but whatever these magazines are, lifestyle stuff, right? And they just cut out pieces that are like, this is what I want for my life, or, you know, or some semblance of this. And then we go around the room and everyone kind of tells us why that is. Like, what are you trying to achieve and what is it that you are wanting for yourself and for your family? And I told him, I said, you know, we've done this. And looking back last year, I'll bet you, I'll bet you that most of the things that were on their vision board weren't achieved. I'll bet you most of the things that they wanted, they didn't get that much closer to. And he and I both kind of sat there on the car ride thinking about that. And I think it actually was painful for us. Mm-hmm. It was actually, it actually hurt a little bit because, and this is not an arrogance at all, but you and I, you know, if we set our mind to something and there's something that we want um, or something that we believe is, is what needs to happen. Um, typically we make that thing happen and Devin's the same way. And so there's a lot of goals that we've personally achieved. And I think that's again, because of the tool tools at our disposal. And it just felt like that was a big missing piece. Now that does bring up another big element, which is time. And we've been so busy producing and doing all these things that to take the time out to, I mean, you know, this, this is your job as a coach. Would you not say that probably one of the most difficult things is that you have dentists who come to you who have been trying to accomplish the same things for five, six, seven years and are nowhere closer to it. For for sure. And inevitably they work with you. And if they're willing to put in the work, they find out really fast that that goal is achieved not in years, but in months. Yeah. Right. And, and so, but it's a matter of time that's dedicated time and effort and focus with you on a specific topic and you do have that skill set and that's a question for most owners I think is do you have that skill set do you have that ability to actually train and empower your team to be able to accomplish their things because if you think about it you're a unit and if your unit is all achieving goals you will do some pretty incredible things together in that practice but if you work separately that's going to be a lot harder that that's I, I yes I 100% agree with that and I think that's true and that's accurate but the bigger thing that I see within dental offices is the amount of time that you spend with people that you work with is significant yeah so yeah, at some point I'll actually post the data around this but this has been tracked with the amount of time that you spend with your spouse continues to increase over your lifetime right provided you stay married. Um, The amount of time with your kids tends to decrease once they leave the house. Maybe they move to separate places, right? You see them less and less and less. Right. Your friends, you also see less and less and less, right? You have these incredible friendships in high school and college. And then when you go on to life, there is less time spent with your friends. Mm -hmm. So the people that you're really spending the most time with are the people that you work with and your spouse. That tends to increase over your lifetime. And so when you look at this, that's why I was asking you guys why you picked this, because I think it's really interesting, this knowing of this place has to be curated, right? Even as leaders of the practice, the practice has to be curated. The team has to be curated because these are people you spend a significant amount of time with. Right. And when everybody's not rowing in the same direction, we have fires, we have personal dramas that are getting brought to work when we have dramas within the team. That's really impactful as these are people that you spend the most time with. A hundred percent. And I, you know, I think if I had to answer your question really simply, the thing that has struck me is that, and I'm just gonna be very, very honest here because I know every practice on the planet deals with this in some way, shape or form because every family does, because every organization does, you're going to have drama. 
in the office. You're going to have problems that arise in the office. And it's not about any one particular person always. Sometimes there are bad seeds, but we don't have that. What we have is we have um, stuff that just comes up as life. And a lot of times it's things that are at home or things that are coming up in their personal life or health or whatever it is. And it starts to impact the way that they are behaving at work. And so then you you come to work and just like, oh, that was a bad patient experience. Just something gets dropped, you know, drop ball or whatever it is. And they start to accumulate until they get on your radar. Then you're on your radar because usually you're too busy producing and doing all these different things in a productive practice. And so by the time it gets to you, it's like, okay, well, this is a big issue. This is a fire. And you tend to treat the symptom. You tend to be like, okay, we need a better system around, you know, the patient experience. When, when what really needs to happen is that a, a team member has to really understand why that patient experience is something they would want for themselves as well that they, that they um, could be that kind of a value add to the practice, but that it also does something for them. I think a lot of times they come to practice and it's like, I'm going to do this for this organization, but aside from my paycheck, what's it do for me? And I think we have to step back sometimes and really ask, like, how do we give to the people that we spend so much time with, to your point? You know, Devin and I know a lot about our our team members we were in their lives we know their husbands and their boyfriends and we we spend a lot of time with them. they all come to our christmas parties right it's a plus one you all come we're laughing and having drinks with each other we know who these people are right. that makes you care it makes you care a lot and it hurts then when you know that you could probably help them in a different way than just giving them a paycheck um but again it goes back to time and i think that's one of the things that Devin and i have both realized a lot is that Time is sometimes not on your side, especially when you're trying to produce. Um, and there's also things that are outside your skill set. You know, we, do we relate really, really well to an assistant as two men who are dentists practicing at a certain level? Maybe not. You know what I mean? Who's going to be the best person to speak to them and to help them to relate to them? That's where we're kind of at. And so we've been really searching kind of for an answer on that front. And I think we found one, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But I think that's kind of setting the, the stage of why we wanted it. We want our team to be that much more powerful together as a unit. And that only happens when you realize that maybe the fires that are stemming from things that are much deeper than you would understand, much more mental things, right? You're trying to treat the dental, and you really need to treat the mental. For sure. I mean, we, we see that, you know, I think time's such an interesting thing because we talked about this yesterday, you and I, about people thinking they have time to accomplish goals. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, you have a specific goal that you want to accomplish and you're 30, then you're 40, and then you're 50, and you realize that you're no closer to having done that. And there's an inflection point too, isn't there? When you're like, when you're 20 and 30, you're like, I've got all the kinds of time in the world. And at some point it, it's, it it switches and now it's 45, 50. And, and we see that with patients where patients then start to say like, well, I'm too old for it. You know, there's a moment where you go from I have all the time in the world to I have no time in the world. Right. You Yeah. You decide that life has officially ended right. and you're just you're just taking up air. Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, right. Is that that um, it's a quote by Jack Cornfield, who I, I have no idea who that person is, but often attributed to Buddha, which is the problem is you think you have time. And and that does and it should create a sense of urgency that's kind of the backdrop of what we believe is at thrive right that was kind of one of our taglines for a long time of you know if if death is inevitable which it is it's a big part of life death is inevitable make thriving non-negotiable it is that idea of like you get one life let's go for it and yeah i think time is something that we just we take for granted for sure but i i've always said this and i don't think this opinion is popular it's my own and i stand behind it so i don't care um i think time is not the most important thing okay. you know it's it, we focus so much on that i hear you know we see all the quotes where it's like time is the one resource you never get back and it's m more important how you spend it than how you spend money and all of these things and i'm not even saying that that's wrong but what i have noticed is that energy is more important than time mm -hmm. when it comes to getting things done it, because it can almost condense time right it you, does you can, you can condense timeline it 100 does so from a coaching perspective when i'm working with a dentist 
things that they think will take forever to get done, we literally can get done in six months to a year. And that's when I have them fully backed with their energy and with their focus, the time starts to become irrelevant. But one of the things that I do is I take time out of the equation. So if they say, okay, I want to accomplish going, you know, I, I want to be fee for service. Okay, great. I want to do that in six months. Okay, well, what if you didn't do it in six months, but what if you knew you got to have it? What if you knew you got to have a completely fee for service practice that people were happy to pay you? The practice was booming. You didn't lose patients. You actually gained them. Right. Would it matter if you got it in six, done in six months or 18 months? Well, I guess it really wouldn't matter as long as it got done. Okay, great. So one of the things I do is remove the constriction that they have around time in their head because that actually allows it to happen faster. There's something about this has to be done by this date that causes them to take action that doesn't make any sense because they want to beat the clock Mm. and then it takes longer to do. So if I can remove that idea from their thinking and then I can get them in alignment with what are the things that we need to do every day and I can get your energy and your focus behind it, we actually can have it done in six months. Right. You know, there's physics principles even to what you're describing as, as I'm thinking about it because what you're really, obviously it's kind of like pseudo physics, but it, but it's the same principles of energy being really like, think about like wavelengths, you know, and if you UV, but you also have this, you know, like gamma ray and the, the amount of space between those troughs and valleys or peaks and, and troughs starts to condense. And as you get that, you're intensifying that energy. And so more damage or more work is done um, in that same amount of time. And really what you're describing is that like when you have a person who's really magnetic, right? There's a gravitational pull around them. There's an energy about them that makes you want to resonate at that same level. And that's what really magnetic leaders do. And so a lot of things happen very fast. That's actually how time is dilated in the universe is gravity, right? And a lot of times you'll see that that's, that's what warps time. And we see that with people. There are people who do not have that kind of pull, who don't seem to have the motivation to make things happen, who don't have a coach, who whatever it is, and things take forever. And they start to get stuck in that traditional time frame of like, well, it'll take me three years to get this done. Well, three years is a decent amount of time. I guess I can hang out for a little while versus what you're talking about, which is like getting a person really excited, motivated, but also urgent about we can do this and today's the only day we've got, right? Yeah. So let's go. And, and that is magnetic. That is gravitational. And then your team starts to resonate at that same level. Your family starts to do that. You know, right? Like when you can get other people on board what you're doing, how hard is it? You can talk about this a little bit. How hard is it when you're trying to work with a client and they are really excited and they want to do things and they get this game plan together, but their home life is is not supportive of this? It's it's really difficult. It's difficult because they have to understand that that support isn't going to come until they start becoming something different. Why is that? Because, so family, family is really interesting and people can give family not the credit that I think that they deserve because there's this like, well, my family's not on board with it, mm-hmm. right? Right. Okay, but your family also has a history of knowing you intimately for a very long time. And so your family remembers those things, right? Your family remembers when you got all hot and bothered about X and you told them you were going to do this and then you stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. And they remember that. And it's not a bad thing. They also are afraid of disappointment for you. When you think about caring for somebody, it really hurts your heart when they're going through something hard or when they're going through disappointment or when they're going through failure. It makes you sad by proxy. Right. So there is this protective instinct that comes out when maybe you said you were going to drop insurance and go fee for service and it didn't go well. Okay. And you go home and you tell your significant other, hey, I'm going to try that again. And they're like, please don't. Do you remember last time it was terrible? We were so scared. We thought we were going to lose our house. You were a nervous wreck. Like, Mm -hmm. don't do that. Right. And then you can hear that as that person not believing in you. Right. And that's totally right. You you hear that as you don't believe in me. You don't have my back. You don't think I can do this. But what you're really doing is (laughs) right. Right. What you're really doing is admitting that there's a part of you that you don't believe in you. Yeah. And when that is voiced from somebody else, we want to put that all on them and say, okay, well, you, you just don't believe in me. 
well, you don't really believe in you either. And that's why we're having this conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the significant other isn't, isn't a bad person. They're truly trying to protect you. They have a memory of being with you for a long time. They have those same feelings when they went through you with all of what you wanted to do before that didn't work out. Right. And that's one of the luxuries and benefits of having a coach. My job is that I don't have those emotional ties to you. My job is that I'm not like, oh my gosh, are you going to make it? I don't feel that way because I know how to get you up the mountain. So it's very irrelevant to me as you're going through all of these emotional processes. Totally fine to have it and we navigate through those, but I just don't believe them. We keep marching forward. And so then when your significant other starts to see that you're taking these massive steps and it's working, it's easier for them to start to follow because now they're not in fear for Mm. you around the failure and the disappointment. There's just a mine there of wealth, things we could talk about for forever. One of the things that you're saying that I think really hits home in a very convicting way and probably adds to our original discussion. I think one of the reasons why Devin and I have made a really big focus on this, why it felt like the right thing to do is that over the last several years, with problems that have come up in the practice or with desires that we've had of, you know, having more symbiotic uh, relationships as a team, we've had ideas. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we talk about them before they're really the thing, right? Before they've happened, before there's a system behind it. And maybe you start it a little bit and then it fails or you stop doing it. For example, you know, like, hey, we're going to do weekly check-ins with team members just to see, like, what's working, what's not, this, that, and the other. Well, our practice happens to be one of the only practices in Santa Fe that can get emergency patients in. Um, we've actually had multiple patients this past week who told us it was going to be six to seven months before they could be seen. And, you know, we can get people in the same day. Well, we see a lot of people same day. And so, inevitably, what takes precedent? Um, it tends to be patience, you know, just, just the nature of the, of the beast. I'm not saying it's right always, but it is the way it is. And Devin and I have noticed that essentially we were out of integrity with our word, with our team on things like that, right? This great idea. We're going to take you guys to X, Y, or Z, or we're going to do these check-ins and they fail. So the team can start to get exactly what you're describing with like a family. We're like, are we really going to do this? Are you really going to make that happen? Probably not, you know? And what I think we don't realize is that, and I want you to speak to this, is the power of, of working in the dark, right? Versus, hey, guys, I have this great idea. We should go do da-da-da-da. And then the eyes are on you. Then you have to go make that thing happen. But maybe you didn't think through all the pieces or you didn't have the right like support system behind you, people who are like you, right? Having a coach who's like, I'm going to help you get through this. And I'm going to keep you accountable. If you don't have those things in place and you just start, you know, shooting from the hip, don't be surprised when people look at you and say, yeah, you think you're, this one's going to be the one, but the last 40 haven't worked out, right, <laughs> you know, right. Can't blame right. them. So there is back to the talk around energy. There is this ability that you have to strengthen to be able to hold energy. And what I mean by that is think about somebody who buys a gift for someone. And they want to tell them what it is. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Okay. I want to tell you what it is. Oh my gosh. I, they're I'm so, so excited. Right. They're so excited. They put a lot of thought, time, energy, effort into getting the perfect gift. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for you to open this. I'm so excited about it. And the other person may be like, well, it's not my birthday. I don't want to open it. I want to open it at my birthday party. And you're like, no, I want you to open it now. Or can I tell you what it is? Or can I give you a hint? Okay. So this is a silly example, but in that example, there is a lack of being able to discipline yourself energetically right? You can't control your own excitement and you want to be able to let it out because you can't hold it. Right. 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 Okay. So that's a silly example, but it's no different than when you go to a CE course, you get all hot and bothered and you go back and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to do this. I want to do this. And we're going to implement this. And oh my God, it's just going to be the thing, everybody. And you are waiting for everybody to be sharing in your excitement, but really you don't have discipline around your energy meaning that you can be excited about that thing, but you've got to be able to hold it yourself. You don't just let it explode all over everybody. And then you have no energy left contained to be able to do the thing. 
I, I love that because when you think about the word discipline, discipline is self-teaching, right? It's teaching yourself that we're going to adhere to this and we're going to stay. We're going to stay in integrity with this, this uh, thought process, with this um, goal, with this mission. The word disciple comes from that and is those that come behind you that follow that. Well, you don't get any disciples. You don't have people follow you unless you're first disciplined. And so you have to have that first, which is that kind of working in the dark. It is that energetic mastery. It's that energetic discipline that you're describing. Without that, you really can't expect anyone to follow you. Right. You shouldn't. Right. So this is what this is what we do when we're when I'm coaching somebody. It's you're not gonna go and tell your family all your new plans and how you're dropping insurance and you're doing this. You're going to work on the thing. We're not gonna talk about things. We're going to work on the thing. And then when you go to somebody, you're going to show them what you've been doing. You're not going to talk about what you're going to do. You're actually going to bring evidence of what you've been doing. Because in during that, as we talk about families, it's always a priority that while somebody is building their practice, their family gets to rise with them. The intention is not ever, okay, you're going to go do this and you're going to keep it from your partner. And then we're, this is going to be a huge thing that blows up within your marriage. That's never the goal. The goal is always that the family and the marriage gets to rise with the practice because otherwise, what is the point? You know, I think it's interesting to talk about, there's a really good example of this. We had a client, um, and you know, it's not inexpensive to, to work with you. Um, it's well worth it to work with you, but it's not inexpensive. This is not like a $45, you know, <laughs> little mini course. And... This particular doctor had um, spent money before with other coaches and other things, and it had gone nowhere to the point of the story where it's like, you know, there was a lot of transparency, I think, and like, I'm going to try this now. I'm going to do this now. And so their spouse had started to really not believe in them. I was like, this is not, this is yet another venture of wasting our money, basically, right? Right. And we were kind of put in an interesting position, I think, where this particular person um, when they when they decided to work with with you and I said, you know, I don't know if I really want to tell my spouse how much I spent. And I bring it up because it is one of those things where people could have different opinions about this. I think in an ideal world, you have you've kept your word, you have all these things, and you're going to make a decision financially, and it is your guys' money together, and and you go and you make that decision together. And oftentimes we'll tell people like, make sure you, it's cool your spouse, make sure you guys are good that way. But in this scenario. It was interesting because it was practice money and it was like, this is what I want to do. And it actually was one of those where the consensus was, you know that you can make this worth it. You know you can. And you have to work in the dark to make that happen. Because the second you tell, you're going to have all of those voices that are true from where you are in the past. Yes. And they will tear you down. And then what will happen is that you already spent it and it will go nowhere because those voices will keep you back. Yes. Talk a little bit more about that because that was, a, that was a really interesting place. I mean, I felt like we kind of got put in this weird position, but I actually think it was absolutely the right decision to not say because in the end, I mean, the investment was like 4X, yes, 5X. 5X. And it was nuts. So 5X. That situation to me was easy to manage because when we're talking about, so you and I have worked with a lot of couples Mm -hmm. and that has been the intention. Husband and wife are both practicing dentists. And so we work under that umbrella on the relationship and on the business. So that makes a lot of sense. This scenario was very different in that this, we were talking about a practice. It was a practice investment. It was for increasing the revenue of the practice, working with the doctor in the practice. And Mm -hmm. the, the side part was, how am I going to tell my wife about this? Right. Well, in this moment, the wife isn't in the business. This isn't a practice, right? This is, you may want to tell her about that, what is going on with the practice, but the wife isn't actually involved in practice decisions. And so to me, that was very clear. We're working with a practitioner on the practice and how you want to navigate that conversation after we've gotten the practice in order, mm-hmm. we can take care of that. Yeah. But it was different because we weren't talking about working on a practice, on a business, on a marriage simultaneously, because those two things weren't weren't linked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's a that's a very good distinction. I also think it was really beneficial from a self trust perspective because at the end of the day, I think it was Alex Tramosi who had talked about this, but 
you know, what really the definition of, of integrity is. That integrity is just keeping your word with yourself. And so when you break it down from that perspective, I think it makes, it gives a whole new meaning to hypocrisy where, you know, it could be like, I'm going to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and then you don't because you're like, oh, I'm a little bit tired. That's hypocrisy. That's out of integrity because you made a promise to yourself and then you didn't do it. And the problem is that you start to stack those things. And so it becomes harder and harder to trust yourself because you've broken your word with yourself so many times. Right. And I think that's what had happened. And that's what happens for a lot of these clients actually that come um, to work with you is that it's how many times have you said you would do something and right. you didn't. Part of that too is that they say that they're going to do things that are the wrong things. Mm, say more about that. So it's it's like, okay, well, I'm going to be part of the 5 a.m. club because it's all the rage, right? Uh -huh. It's it's all the rage. It's what everybody's doing. I'm going to be part of the 5 a.m. club because to be part of the 5 a.m. club means that I'm going to be successful. So therefore, I'm going to commit to doing that. Just let people so, know. I mean, most people probably know what the 5 a.m. Oh, club yeah. is, but like the morning routine millionaires. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 5 a.m. club is like the morning routine millionaires. You know, I've got to get up, take a cold plunge, a cold shower, you know, eat spinach and meditate. And, Yoga, journal, meditate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's this it's this thing, right? So they can pick things that they think are going mm. to get them to their goal and then commit to that because they're actually wanting to commit to the goal, but they're committing to arbitrary things that they think are going to get them there. Okay. So you're like, okay. I want to do a million dollars this year. Okay, well, I heard that if you do a 5 a.m. morning routine, that's going to help me get to a million dollars quicker. So therefore, I'm going to commit my word to doing a 5 a.m. morning routine so that I can get closer to my goal. So they start picking things like this that may not necessarily be things that actually feel good for them. They just think that these are things that are going to get them closer to where they want to be. But they, there's not an actual inventory of, is this right for me? What do I get out of this? Can I stack this into momentum? That's not the conversation. It's like, if I, if it's, a, it's a, if then, if I'm part of the 5am club, then I will be a millionaire by the end of 2024. Mm. Right? So we start getting all of these habits that we commit to that are actually not even on our path. They're not for us. You, you know, so I just had a conversation with the dentist in this same sort of vein. And what was interesting was the question around like, What's the curriculum for coaching? And you and I have had conversations about this before, but really what we've what we've done over the last seven years is um, gotten completely away from a curriculum. There is no curriculum for coaching. There's no curric there's no curriculum. So don't say why. Don't that's... don't ask. Don't <laughs> don't, don't ask. Don't ask. Because I mean, well, that's why I, I told this Jim. I said there is no recipe because and because it has to be custom. And the reason it has to be custom is that you've tried following, copying and pasting other people's routines and lives and materials and all the other bullshit that's out there. You're like, I, if I just do this, I'll be X because all millionaires get up at 5 a.m. because all successful dentists use Ivoclar, whatever it is, right? You're like, this is what it's going to do. Well, that's not true at all. What is true is that the ones that are successful took leaps of faith and leaps of faith require no curriculum. That's what it demands. A, f a faithful leap is I have no idea what's on the other side of this. I have belief that it will be there, and I'm willing to take the action regardless. Even if it hurts, even if there's pain, even if there's suffering, even if there's, I will do it. And that is what I think makes coaching so special. It's a very special relationship. It's, because it becomes it's the most, very it's the trusting. most special relationship. I truly believe it's the most incredible thing in the world. My clients, it feels like um like I will I will always have a spot for them. Like energetically I continue to think about them. I root for their success. Like these are people who become so important to me. Right. Because we're so connected. I am with them through things that a lot of other people don't know are even happening in their life. Right. Right. So, yeah. right. So yes, there's no curriculum. Uh, don't ask. Don't even ask for one. <laughs> because part of that is when you come, what is it that we're working on? What is it that you want? And our job, my job, is why haven't you gotten it yet? And don't you think that the majority of the reason why, actually really probably, probably the reason why you can't have a curriculum is because 99 out of 100 people don't actually know where they really are. And so you 
So they're like, I'm going to start doing these things. Well, if you're 15 steps behind that, then you're starting way too far ahead. You could be three steps behind and you're still starting too far ahead. I think we are not great judges of where we actually it's, are. Uh, it's not even that we're not great judges. It's that we are so good at lying. Mm. To ourselves. Yes. yes. We're yeah. so good at lying, right? I heard, I was, I just this week, I heard somebody, I heard somebody that I, I just think is a very lazy person talk about how they're an overachiever. And in my head, I was like, what? Like I just, like in my head, I was so just, mm -hmm. how do you, how are these two things like, how do I experience you this way? But in your head, you're really doing Well, there's the a reason why people do that. And, and for all of us, just so, just so everyone knows, <laughs> this is true for every single one of us. Um, Self-deception has a, has a twin sister or twin brother, whatever, which is um, comparison. What you compare yourself to is what allows you to deceive yourself. It's a fair so point. So if you're around even lazier people, you see yourself as an overachiever. It's true. And, and I'm not throwing this person under the bus because what after I had that judgment in my head, I was like, oh, this is exactly why I still work with a coach because we're all so good at lying to ourselves. So I have somebody there to reflect back at like, am I seeing this accurately? What are you seeing for me? And those are the clients that are the most fun to coach is the the ones that come and they are not saying, okay, what is, what is it that you're doing today? What is your exact recipe for success? Mine and yours are not going to be the same, but my job is to customize that for you so that you start achieving what you want to rapidly, right? right? Where are you stopping? What lies are you telling yourself? What habits have you committed to energetically and with your integrity that are actually not for you that are taking you back steps? I also think it's important to note, um, again, we're talking a lot about a, coach, a lot of coaching stuff. There's a reason for this. You'll, you'll see it here in a second. But I also think that the best people that would truly soar with coaching are those who are the greatest overachievers. You think about Michael Jordan, had a coach, right? had a mindset coach. Like this is the guy who should be teaching other people how to do it, right? <laughs> this is the goat. And he has somebody keeping him accountable and keeping his mind laser focused, razor sharp. Why do the most successful, like there's, <clears throat> there's so much to be said for those who think I've got this, like I can, I can take on any goal that I want. Why it's so important to have accountability it's because that's usually when you fall. You fall when you start to think just a little bit too much of yourself, when you start to think a little bit too, you trust a little bit too much in your ability. The smart ones know that having a, a source of, of accountability, someone who can keep you accurately focused on where you actually are and making sure that you stay in integrity with your word, they're the ones that can make massive results and success happen in very short order. Um, that's not to say that people who are not overachievers or who are at a lower bar as in terms of success couldn't also benefit. But it's interesting when you look at really successful people, almost every single one of them has a board of advisors, has accountability, has coach, right? I mean, we see this very routinely. Yeah, I think I think it really is dependent on what you know about yourself. I've been in a coaching relationship for se probably seven years in one capacity or another. I, More than that, like right. a decade. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I love it. I love it. I really like it. I like the feedback. I like being able to have somebody bounce off blind spots. I also really, it, it's a good place for me to work things out with somebody that is not you. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Right. I I just. Which is yeah. I I, I hear that the right way. You know. I'm, I'm very sad right now. I like to I like to work some of those things. Well. Crying. But. Yeah. I just. I mean, my my how I like to run our marriage is that I don't look at you as a journal, right? Just like oh, let me like unload all of these things. Like let me work them out. Let me process them, and then you and I can have a conversation about it. Not even about marriage, really, about anything. But I just don't think the best place to dump is you right like let me process these things right. somewhere else and work through them somewhere else so i really like and benefit from a coaching relationship i think the other piece of that too is you have to know yourself are you actually looking for accountability looking to get stronger looking to shorten timelines are you looking for that or are you looking for a place to come and complain 
Mm. Like therapy. I, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I don't want to throw no, them in no, the bus, no. I wouldn't, but you know I wouldn't, what I mean. I wouldn't say that. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say therapy. What I would say is like Facebook groups, oh, okay. right? Like I see people who really like community because they want to hmm. showcase their suffering. And that's not that's yeah. That's not I, I think that's actually. Right? You know what's interesting about what you're saying too is that depending upon where a person's at, that there are places for that person and what they need. Even that you described, like having someone to bounce ideas off of. There's there's just different containers and different relationships for different parts of what you're going for, right? right? Like right. again, like going back to therapy. There's good things in therapy. There's great things, and we plenty of people that benefit from that because that's what you're going for. You're going for a very specific task, but I've made the distinction before where I think that you, and you've said this to clients, you're like, I'm not a therapist for therapy, go to a therapist. But for you, you are a coach and that's a different relationship. You have to know what you're going for. Right. right? I've had clients do have both in tandem and it works fantastic. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, okay. So all of this had a purpose. Um, although we weren't even necessarily designing it this way. Um, let's get back to team for a second because that that's actually where I think the rubber meets the road for a lot of the docs that are listening to this. Devin and I had this conversation in the car. Obviously, we're feeling the pain of wanting people that we really love and care about who have who have cared for us, who love us. You know, we had... Uh, a couple of our girls like put pictures of us on their vision boards of like I want, I want to stay with you guys. Like one of our, one of our um, teammates had gone through some really difficult last year, and um, Deb and I decided we're gonna you know pay you for your time off. We want to make sure that you know like while you're going through things, we've we've got you. And when she came back, she's like, no, I can't imagine another employer doing that mm-hmm. and giving me that kind of just space where I didn't have to worry about finances. Like you just took care of me. And that was an easy, that was an easy thing to do. That was like, that's the right thing to do. So she had us on her vision board and she was like, I just want to see you guys succeed because uh, this is my family. And when you see that and you see, like, I see how hard the girls work and I see how much time and effort they put in. And we have a very high standard and a high bar at our practice, you know? And I think that they really strive to meet that. So it hurt knowing that we we could be doing more perhaps. And like I've said, we don't have the time. And in some ways, I don't think that we really have the training for it either or the relatability. And so we talked about it on a number of car rides up. And I finally came to you. And I said, I have an offer. I have an idea. What do you think? And the idea was, would you be willing to essentially coach our team? what you do with clients, what you've done with dentists, how you've helped them, could you, would you do that for our team? So let's talk a little bit about that because I think that that has become something that that is what we're doing. We decided it. We already talked to the team about it. They're stoked. They're really jazzed about it. Um, but that is something that, that's a that's a big shift in the direction. And for those of you who are on the email list, you're hearing it first here. But, uh, but that's going to be a real thing. <clears throat> so tell me a little bit about what you heard in that and what actually I think what uniquely qualifies you far beyond Devin or I or really anyone else that I know of to do this thing. Yeah, I'm, su- I'm super excited about it because from the transformational side, to be able to really look at what I've seen Dennis accomplish, it's really exciting to be able to bring that to the team. Mm. Right? There are so many things that you and I have stacked as far as habits and tools over the years and to be able to give that to somebody else as we've seen it not just transform business but really our relationship with each other our relationship with kids how we communicate um through problems Mm. right how we to the point of this conversation how we hold our energy how we manage our emotions how we decide that we're going to show up in the world all of these things being able to give that to somebody else and and have them have the tools to be able to make different decisions in their own life. Because a lot of times it's not, you want to make a di- different decision, but you don't know how you would do it. No. I mean, it, it truly is. When we talked really early, early on about how entitlement is really a byproduct of ignorance. 
And I think we all have entitlement to some degree because there's so many experiences that we have not had. You know, I'm entitled. No doubt about it. I think less so than some others, and I try not to be. But at the same time, there are experiences that other people have in the world that I do not have, and I take things for granted. And so there is an ignorance to me, 100% to all of us. And you just don't know what you don't know. The question is, when exposed to that new truth, to that new experience, are you willing to embrace it with humility? And I think that's what we want for our team, is we want them to experience... I, you know, you've, you've had a really interesting life already. <clears throat> and I think one of the things that you brought up, we, as we were kind of going through this, it was just so cool. And for a lot of people on this, on this podcast, all four of you, you know, you're not going <laughs> to, you're not going to know this side of Davina unless she talks about it, but you're the one that brought it up. You're like, I am this success story for these girls. I'm the success story. And I was like, you are. It's totally true because you have made some very hard decisions in your life and stayed committed to those things to become who you've become. So walk us through a little bit of your story from like where you grew up to where you are now. Yeah, I think so. I'll say this before I get into that. In the context of coaching a team and leading myself from where I was to where I am now, I don't think that there's anything better in life than to continually refine yourself into the person that you want to be. Like that's to me, that's the point. How do you, how do you then like, can you make yourself your own work of art to some extent, right? Can you refine your habits? What is it that you want? Can you design your life the way that you want it? Can you do that? Is this your work over a lifetime? Right. So I'm from a really small town, 8,000 people is the population it's probably grown now or maybe not 8,500 yeah okay all right is that what the is that what the sign said just, making, we just making it up okay <laughs> so it's a very small town and there's not if, if you've ever been to a small town a lot of times I don't know where the lifetime movies get them of like these quaint small towns that is not what this one is <laughs> that is not what this one is Pumpkin patches right. everywhere. There, there, I think that there is an idea that uh, when you're from a small town, um, it's you know very charming. And there is a certain aspect to that. But the truth is it's very hard to get out of that because there's not a lot of people with a different mentality other than what you're around. So to finish high school is a very big deal. That's a very big accomplishment, right? There's, there's neighboring towns. So I guess technically you could go to a private school, but... I didn't even truly at that moment in my life know even what a private school was. So if you graduate high school, that is your, wow, gee, just wow, right? Yeah. And so I remember always really wanting more. This has always been, like I've always had that to some extent and really started to play around with the idea of, is it possible? Is it possible? And this question has been something that I've thought about really my whole life. When you get a new idea, when something's given to you, and you start having a desire for something else, there is that question like, but is this really possible when you're sitting from the perspective of the place that you're in right now? So I remember wanting to skip a grade. And I remember having that question come up like, are you, you know, when you want something more than you've ever had or something more than you've ever even watched somebody close to you achieve, you start to wonder if you're insane. You start to wonder, like, am I crazy? Like, why would these thoughts even be coming into my head? Are you crazy? Right. And we have that conversation with a lot of doctors where it's like, I want this. Right. Is that even right. a thing? Can I make this happen? Right. So I remember wanting to skip a grade and thinking, is that crazy? But at that time, I really was like, ah, Give whatever, just go and do it. Right. So I remember, yeah. So I remember, so this ties into the story that we talked about earlier. I remember going and telling my mom, I was like, I, I want to skip a grade. And I remember my mom saying, well, that's for really <laughs> smart kids. And I look at that now and I was like, oh, that really was her protecting mm -hmm. me, right? It's, I don't even think that she thought I wasn't smart. I had already really shown myself. I had a track record. It's not like I was like, just made this up one day, right? Like there was evidence that this could be possible for me. And then, and this, this is your mom. Like I'm, I, I love your mom and your mom is a very protective person. And a, that's actually one of the best qualities that she has. It truly is. My mom is very protective. And once you can receive that gift for what it is, it's really magical. But when you take it personally and you use it to think that somebody is attacking you, right. that relationship could not be, you know, you, you could really ruin that relationship. Right. Right. 
So anyways, I was like, huh, okay, well, she's not the person to talk to about this, clearly. And you know me, I'm the type of person who I will get my answer that I want, no matter how many people I have to ask. So in my head, I've just got to ask the right person to be able to get the answer that I want. So I went to my dad and my dad was like, yeah, let's do it. What, what do we need to do? And I was like, what do we need to do? I actually don't know. So then I went and made an appointment with um, our principal at school. And I was like, what do I need to be able to do this? She gave me the checklist of things that I need to do. Got those done. Took my dad in. Boom. I went from seventh grade to ninth grade. So done. So that was really the first thing. And then I wanted to be a fashion merchandiser. So that comes up in my life later, which is just this like a love of all things that are artistic clothing. And I wanted to do that. And I remember my mom and dad saying that they were not going to help me in college, pay for college if that's what I wanted to do, because that was not a real job. I was like, well, from their perspective, that's not a real job. We're in a town of 8,000 people. No one knew anybody that was making any sort of money off of designing clothes, right? So that's not a real job. So they asked me, they were like, why don't you go? We had one dentist in town, single dentist. He was my dentist, Dr. Hunter. They were like, why don't you go talk to him? and Mm -hmm. like see what that job is about right and his wife was a hygienist so to make my parents happy i went and did that and they were like do you want a job here and i was like yeah i need a job for the summer that (laughs) sounds great so i started working there and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing i loved it so much and there was a dental assistant there at the time i was like she was older but she's probably literally my age right now and had to teach me like you know the numbers of teeth like i knew nothing i knew absolutely nothing And so then that was like the next spark where I was like, I think I want to be a dentist. And that's crazy because our high school was very open about the fact that nobody from there ever went to professional school. Yeah. What was the one teacher you had that like, oh, he said said something something to me about like, I can't even remember. I can't even remember. But basically like dream on. It was like it was it was something along the lines of like the most any of you guys can ever hope to achieve is like working at McDonald's. Oh, yeah. Yes. He said hamburger you. Yeah. That's what he Hamburg said. University. Yeah. Yes, because I remember people, they, thank you for reminding me, people would say, raise their hand and be like, I want to be a physical therapist. I want to do this. Like, you know, people had dreams. Nobody gave us the news bulletin that we were never going to make it out of there, you know? He did, though. He's like the most, statistically, coming from the school, the most any of you can hope for is going to Hamburger U. It's an ouch. Right yeah, there. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot he said that. Yeah, he did. Um, so when I decided I wanted to be a dentist, I was like, is that even possible? That's very, very crazy. So then I went to hygiene school because I needed to prove that I could do that first to myself. And how old were you when you went to hygiene school? Mm, So I finished high school at 16. So so four years, I went to university in Mexico for my hygiene degree. So I was 20 when I graduated undergrad. Okay. So that was a, you know, that was a great, I was still playing, you know, intramural sports. (laughs) Hanging out with the bros. <laughs> <laughs> but the mentality was different, right? This was not this was not a fun thing that I had to decide to do. If I wanted to leave a small town, there were requirements mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Right. Couldn't really play around with that because if you stayed, you stayed and maybe you wouldn't get out. Well, I mean, it just add a little bit of <clears throat> obviously it's not a great thing to have a, a teacher tell you like, you know. It, that's like old school dev, you know, you will mount a Jack in this world. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was motivating to you. Right. And sometimes you do need to hear what is statistically or generally true um, because it is motivational and it does give you like that sense of urgency. Cause you probably were like, well, if I don't make these moves and make them quickly and really push myself, I will be a statistic. Right. So going along with our theme of like my ridiculous stories and facts. So I was reading that, um, okay, we know the lion catches the gazelle, Mm -hmm. right? But statistically, they miss catching the gazelle more than they catch the gazelle. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And I heard Dave Ramsey talk about this and I was like, that's so interesting. And so he was like, why? Why is that? And then he figured out, he was like, oh, because the gazelle is running for its life Mm. and the lion is running for its lunch. (laughs) Two very different motivators. Very interesting. Yes. Right? Yes. And I really, I was like, oh, that's so interesting because that's really the type of focus that I had to have if I wanted to get out of the small town. It wasn't like, oh, this is a fun little thing that I can do. I really want to accomplish goals. It was like, no, if you want to get out, you've got to run for your life. Right. You've got to put your head down and do every piece of work that's required of you, mm-hmm. or you're going to be back there. 
Right. 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 Um, so yeah, then I became a hygienist and then I was like, okay, I'm getting closer. And that would have been a great stopping point actually, because I was really happy. Money was good. Life was good. But it was one of those commitments that I had made a long time ago that that's the thing that I wanted to do. So I really wanted to be able to prove that I could do it. And so when I applied to dental school, I didn't get in the first year. Then I got in the second year, but I was pregnant. So so there were so many times where it would have been perfectly reasonable to stop this insane dream. Totally. Yeah. Take every every excuse and sign as we talked about a few podcasts ago. Exactly. So then I called school and I was like, "Uh I'm so excited to be in. You have no idea. And I'm going to have a baby like right as soon as school starts a few months after. So can I defer a year? (laughs) And they were generous enough to allow me that privilege to be able to defer a year. And then I started dental school with a brand new baby in town. Yeah. Yeah. And because you deferred, you met me. That's yeah, that's right. That's right. So lucky me. (laughs) Lucky me. (laughs) So all of that to say, it was really decision after decision that wasn't easy. A lot of places you could say, okay, like good enough. Yeah. You could have stopped. Right. Mm -hmm. And so all of this going back to team, I know exactly what it feels like to feel like maybe maybe the things that you want that are put on your heart that you want to achieve, the vision board stuff, I want the body, I want the money, I want to own a house, all of these things. When you come from a certain place, that stuff seems crazy and right. it seems impossible. Right. And it also is a requirement and invitation for you to become a different person to be able to per- to be able to match the things that have been placed on your heart. You know, there's a couple of things as we wrap up that I think are really important um, to pull from your story. There's one piece that you didn't talk about that is at the end, which is perhaps the most crazy part to me. And that is when you decided to take your DDS and put it to the side from a clinical perspective and apply all that you'd learned and all that you had you know, poured yourself into, into being a full-time coach right? For dentists. And that's a really unique place because if you think about what most, obviously there are coaches that are dentists and, and such, but a lot of consulting firms in dentistry, it's hygienists, it's assistants, it's whoever. You have a very unique perspective of having had all of those positions and also having had that place of saying, I'm going to take that $300,000 of debt and this prestige of having a DDS and all the rest, and I'm going to be a coach. And have some people ridicule that and have some people say, what an idiot and all the rest and become very, very good at what you do. Pushing forward on your behalf is to, is to your credit. I think you've been guided very well as well. But um, you said yes when it would have been so easy to say no or to say stop. The reason I bring that up though too is that when we look at our team, I can't tell you how many things come back to the mental and spiritual and emotional. We see them as issues clinically, in the systems breakdown, in the experience for the patient, in the drama, in the whatever. But what it always, always comes back to, and we've, we've had this routinely, is an issue at home. And it's an issue with a kid. It's an issue at school. It's an issue at whatever it is. Or even knowing that they want something more, but almost feeling like an obligation to Devin and I, right? That they owe us something. And Devin and I are really clear that we want you to go as far as you want to go. We have two of our of our team members right now who are looking to leave at some point and to become you know, a nurse or a hygienist or to elevate their game even far beyond that. And we're fully in support of that. But people can have that feeling of obligation. And so when we looked at this, I think the most exciting part for me was that bringing you into this coaching relationship for a team, it is not a standard consultant coming in who's teaching you how to better some systems. It's so impersonal. It doesn't make you feel any sort of way as a team member. It's like, I just have to do my job better. And I think what we've we've come to realize is that a lot of our team members, they look at their vision and what they're saying to themselves is, I just have to make more money to do this. Right. If I just work harder, Maybe pick up another job, another shift, work extra hours. I can meet my goals. And what we know is that if you become of greater value, everything changes. It's not work harder. It's become more valuable. And the only way to make that happen, the only way, 
is to change their mental fortitude and their perception of themselves and the relationships in their life. And there's no one better for that than you. So we're like beyond the moon excited about this. I think it's going to be freaking awesome. I'm so excited too, because these are my favorite conversations to have and to be able to have them with, with people that are excited to have them as well mm-hmm. and can really take something and implement into their life and see a change immediately. That's so exciting. I mean, imagine team members who are the drama disappears because it's solved by people who take responsibility, right? Who didn't have that tool before, who would blame or make excuses, not because that's the kind of person that they are, because they just didn't know any better. Right. But now working with you, I know that's one of the biggest tenets that you always push is personal responsibility. You have a team, a whole team that takes personal responsibility for the actions that they take. And even those who have like a patient who's yelling at them and they just know, I don't have to take this personally, but I know that I can actually maybe be a, a beacon of peace for this person who's having a hard time themselves, right? Like they can lead others now because they've been led, they've led themselves and they've been led by you. So I think the ripple effects and ramifications of this having seen it with dentists and what happens to their practices just you working with them now seeing that we can do this with our team as well like i'm just I so freaking excited anyway. before we get off i want to ask you a question because i think because i don't know the answer and i want to know it <laughs> what is a single piece of advice that you've given you've been given in a coaching relationship that just like popped your top blew your mind changed everything for you um okay I think probably one of the strongest elements, I actually said this to a, to a teammate um, recently. Um, she was going through some things and I, and I told her a lot of things actually. And I, I told her something that really struck me. It's always stuck with me, never left. And it's guided me so well. And it's that quote from Napoleon Hill and people have heard this before, but it's that um, opportunity comes in the back door often disguised as misfortune or temporary defeat. And I think what that has allowed me to do is it's allowed me when things are tough to change my perspective, but when things are really hard to know that I'm in, that I'm, I'm in the right place. Like I'm where I need to be. This is good. I'm getting a lot of shouting. I've you know, I, it, to me, it's God saying like, I got to work with you. Like I need you to pay, pay attention. I need you to wake up because we're going to do some things and I need you to get ready, right? To put in your armor. Let's go. And so that when I first heard that from David Nagel, he's the one that really expounded upon what that meant. I, you know, you when you see opportunity, not as bags of cash falling from the sky or great things happening to you, but actually you start to look at bad things, what you would see as bad things being for you, you'd, you in some ways become kind of invincible from a mental perspective. And that has changed almost every element of my life. Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, all right. Let's get to it. Uh, if you are not on the email list, like we said, get on it. I talk a lot about all this kind of stuff here and how we apply it to the practice. Um, and there are always fun things that are becoming down the pipe in this next email. Some really great things. So if you're hearing this again, subscribe. If you're already subscribed, pay attention. It's going to be good. And uh, you guys have a great week. Take care, guys. Bye.